Well, that's good to be missed. Thank you. I don't think so. You can go ahead. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Now, we'll look at a lot of sections in Hebrews today uh, in the text or the uh, subject that we're looking at this morning. So most of what we look at, I will look at some other verses in other parts of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, but we will look at a lot in Hebrews um, as we look at the subject of Jesus as a high priest or our high priest is one of the Reformed doctrines that we're studying this summer. Now, Many years ago when our kids were still young, my wife and I got concerned that we need to make sure that if something were to happen to both of us at the same time, that our kids would be taken care of and we start thinking about who would they go to, who are they going to live with, or which one of our family members would be best for them to be assigned to. And so we decided we needed to get somebody to help us with that. We need to put together some kind of a will. So we got a friend of mine um, who was uh, also a runner, and, and so I knew him from that, and I got him to, to help me through that whole process of putting together a will. We needed somebody who could, could represent us in, in the legal sphere because we don't need knowledge of what it takes to do all of that. And uh, as well well, when we purchased our first house, and of course any house after that, and most of you know if you've purchased a house, you've got piles and piles of, of legal documents and all kinds of things that have to be done in order to buy a house. You don't just go into the grocery store, like a grocery store, and I just, I'd like to get a house. There are all kinds of things that have to be done. And so when you decide that there's a house that you want, you normally have to get somebody to represent you. Uh, You get a lawyer, a title lawyer, somebody who's going to be able to take you through this whole process, all the legalities, that knows everything that's supposed to be done, and they can make sure that it gets done. Uh, They can make sure that all the things that are in place, they're really your representative. Now, you're making the purchase, but they're representing you because you need a representative. You need somebody who's an advocate. The reason I, I use those illustrations is because we're talking about Jesus Christ today as high priest. And if, if we understand any basic thing about a high priest, this was a person who was a representative from God to man. It was somebody who would be your advocate, um, somebody that could do for you what you can't do for yourself. So when we talk about Jesus Christ as being our high priest, that's what we're, t- we're talking about. We're talking about him being a go-between between God the Father and ourselves, especially with regard to our salvation. Now, you might wonder what this has to do with Reformed faith. A lot of people think of Reformed theology, and I know when I hear the word Reformed, the first thing I think of is the sovereignty of God and election and those kinds of things. And, and rightly so, it's right to think of those as major Reformed doctrines. And we've talked about those five. But I I will make a statement here. I think that the doctrine we're looking at today, the high priesthood of Jesus, is the doctrine, the, the key doctrine in the Reformed faith. And the reason I say that is because the whole Reformation when it got started with Calvin and Luther and and Zwingli and the other reformers, had to do with uh, the church's misunderstanding of the doctrine of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. That's what they didn't get. That's what the confusion was, uh, that Jesus Christ's work was not complete, it was not finished, that we need still need to have human advocates. Um, and so the entire Reformation really centered at the beginning around this whole idea of Jesus. What, just what had he accomplished? Uh, what has he done for us as Christians? Um, and so this is really, I think, one of the key Reformed doctrines. And as you see this, as we go through this today, I hope you'll understand that a little bit more. Now, we're going to look, as I said, at a lot of, uh, a lot of 
things in the book of Hebrews. I don't know if any of you ever were involved in a sword drill. You know what those are? We grew up in a youth group in, in the church. We'd have sword drills occasionally, which just meant you know the, the youth leader could call out a passage and you had to look it up, and the first person that got to it would stand up and read it. Now, I'm not going to do that today, but we are going to look up a lot of passages. Uh, the only difference is they are in Hebrews for the m- most part. So I will look at a lot of passages. I will refer to some other ones. Uh, really, um, if you want to st- understand the whole idea of Jesus as as priest, you need to just read the book of Hebrews. Um, I got this book recently. It's called Name Above All Names by Alistair Begg and Sinclair Ferguson. And it really deals with uh, Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. It would probably be a good book um, if you wanted to study more on this to look at. But they rightly point out that you've got a whole book of the New Testament that's practically devoted to Jesus as high priest. And that is the book of Hebrews. Uh, we won't read any long section, but we'll look at a number of different things in talking about Jesus as high priest. Now, before we go to that, I want to give some historical context. Uh, there wouldn't have needed to be any context for the people in Jesus' day because they understood the priesthood. They, had the, they understood the whole idea of the priesthood. We didn't grow up with that. Uh, we may have learned some of those things from reading the Old Testament and from teaching, but I want to just review a few things. So we have a context for understanding how Jesus is our priest. So we're going to go, first of all, to the Old Testament. Uh, what was true of a priest or of a high priest in the Old Testament? What did they do? And I just put down several things. First of all, the high priest was chosen by God. The high priest was somebody who was chosen by God. This isn't something you just decided to be a priest. You didn't decide to run for the priesthood and you got so many votes and you were a priest. Nobody could just decide that. This is something that God decided. And specifically, the tribe of Levi was chosen and then Aaron and his sons, Aaron was chosen to be the high priest and his sons after him uh, to be priests. And if you go to Exodus 29.9, uh, for instance, it says, And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Uh, Aaron was designated as the, the first high priest, the first uh, major representative between God and man. Now, there was a lot of that advoca- advocating work or representing that went through Moses um, as well. But God established this high priesthood or the priesthood where you would have men who would represent um, the rest of the people of God to God. They were like go-betweens, and so he was ordained as that. Uh, If you go to Exodus 28, Exodus 30, Leviticus 16, you'll see that Aaron alone was ordained as the one who could go into the most holy place. He was the only person, if you know about the way the tabernacle and the temple was set up, you had the outer courts, you had the holy place, and then you had the most holy place, or the holy of holies, and only Aaron could go into that place, and only once a year. Now, there were other people that had occasionally tried to take on the, the office of a priest. If you read about, uh, for instance, King Uzziah, who started off to be a good king in Second Chronicles 26, he did a lot of things for God, a very good king, but at a certain point it says that he got proud, He got a little bit too big for himself, and he decided he was going to be a priest, and so he went into the temple and he was going to offer a sacrifice and ended up with dire consequences because he was a a king for over 50 years, but for the latter part of that, he had leprosy and he had to live in a house by himself because he tried to take on the job of priest, which is something that only God can do. God ordains those who are priests, and so they were called by God. The second thing about the high priest is that he was an intercessor 
between God and man. Uh, Exodus 28:29 says, "So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord." So Aaron wore uh, a kind of an ephod that had different stones representing the different the 12 different tribes of Israel and that was symbolic of him going in and uh, bringing to remembrance the people of, of God to God. So he was praying. That was one of the things he was supposed to do. Intercede for the people of God. And there are all kinds of stories of the priests in the Old Testament, particular times, who would intercede for the people. Uh, in some time there may be a plague because of sin and one of the, one of the uh, priests would intercede and God would stop that. And so um, God set up certain people who would be a sort of a go-between. And people couldn't just approach God on their own. We saw that first at Mount Sinai. Uh, the, the people couldn't come before, uh, couldn't come to God or in the presence of God on their own. They had to go through a mediator. And that's what the high priest did. The third thing about the high priest is that he offered a sacrifice of atonement for the people's sins. Now, there was a whole sacrificial system and a lot of sacrifices that went on, but especially in Leviticus chapter 16, you have the whole explanation of the Day of Atonement. And once a year, um, the high priest, or Aaron, would go into the Holy of Holies. He would offer one sacrifice for himself and for the priest for his own sins, and he would offer sacrifice for the, for the rest of the people. Um, that was one of the things that he did once a year, and that would make atonement for the people. In other words, that would atone for their sins um, for another year. And this was to be one, done once a year and in the holy place, or the most holy place, and this was done only by the high priest. So this was his role. Uh, Leviticus 16, I'll just read part of this. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And so there's a sacrifice that's being offered for the sins of the people um, and this is taking care of the people's sins for one more year. Now, we know when we go to the book of Hebrews, uh, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't actually take away sin. This was all moving towards Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ was going to do. It was a picture of what he was going to do. Um, and so nothing was being finally accomplished by these sacrifices, but this was done on a regular basis. Now, how is Jesus then like a priest, and I know a lot of these things we'll go through very quickly, but um, how is Jesus like the high priest then? What does he do? <clears throat> well, I put down, first of all, some ways that Jesus Christ is the same. First of all, he's appointed by God from among men. If you go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed. So just like the Old Testament high priest was appointed, Jesus Christ was appointed as well. <clears throat> the second thing was he made atonement for sins. Now we'll go into more detail on this as we look at some parts of this, but that was a major role of Jesus. When he came, or before he came, the angel said to Mary, he will save his people from their sins. That's what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to make atonement for their sins. And so in that way, uh, he would be like the priests who were making atonement for the people's sins. Now, w when you look at Christ, though, 
and especially when you look at the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is contrasted to the Old Testament priesthood because so much of what he is is different than the Old Testament priesthood. He is the high priest, and some of that is the same, but Jesus is not the same as the high priest. In fact, he's vastly different, and that's most of what Hebrews focuses on. So that's what I want to look at right now as we look at several passages in Hebrews. How is Jesus Christ different as our high priest? Well, the first thing is this. The Old Testament priests died and were replaced by others, but Jesus is our eternal high priest. So there were people who were priests, They died, they moved on, somebody else replaced them, but Jesus is our eternal high priest. If you go to Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, we'll read verse 23 and 24. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the other most those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So you had the priests that were regularly replaced by somebody else, but Jesus is the eternal high priest. He was raised from the dead. Um, he went into the heavenlies. He went into the, the, the holy place in heaven, so to speak, the real holy of holies um, that the one on earth was only a shadow of, and he made atonement for the people. And so he was and is an eternal high priest. He still is our advocate now. He does that eternally. The second thing about Jesus is that the Old Testament high priest had to offer sacrifices first for his own sins. Then he would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. Well, Jesus is a marked contrast to that because he didn't sin. So he didn't have to offer sacrifices for himself and then for the people. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, which follows up in the verse I just read. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people since he did this once for all in offering himself. So Jesus was without sin, and of course Hebrews 4.15 tells us that as well. He was without sin. He was tempted in all points like we are, but he didn't have any sin. And so unlike the high priest, he had no sin of his own to atone for. And so he atones for our sins, and that means he is the perfect high priest. Another way in which Jesus is different than the Old Testament high priest is the Old Testament high priest offered the same sacrifice of atonement every year continually. Jesus offered a sacrifice once. The offerings of the Old Testament uh, sacrifices didn't really cover sin. They were a picture of sin being covered. But Jesus Christ's death actually and really covered sins. It actually atoned for our sins. Now, uh, Jesus, and this is, this is one of those major dif- disagreements that Luther and Calvin and the other reformers had with um, the, the church of the time. So we sometimes refer to as the Roman church, or today sometimes called the Roman Catholic church. Um, because the Catholic church taught that Jesus was regularly sacrificed every week for the, the sins of the people. And so you have what's called the sacrifice of the mass, and they believe that Jesus is continually offered and continually offered and continually offered over and over. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus offered a sacrifice for sins once for all. In other words, there didn't need to be um, a continual offering of sacrifices. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, you could look at Hebrews chapter 9 as well, but Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, this is indicating that this is finished. Jesus sat down, he completed the sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. He doesn't have to continually offer sacrifices for sins. And this is where the Roman church today is still stuck uh, in, in the Old Testament, in one sense, under an old covenant where they regularly believe that your sins are, are not taken care of. You realize that in the Catholic church, nobody gets saved. You don't become a Christian at any point, and you don't know that you're a Christian at any point, because this has to constantly be done all the time. You regularly go as often as you can to the Mass. That's the most important thing. Uh, you take of the Mass. Uh, it becomes the body of Christ. It's supposedly it's sacrificed for us on a weekly basis. The more you take of that, the more chance you have of being made holy one day. But it's, it's, it's like the Old Testament. It's never done. It's never complete. It's never finished. But Hebrews tells us it is finished. And I was talking with a, a Catholic man at a fair one time when we lived in Muskegon, Michigan. And uh, we got into conversation. I don't know how we got into this, uh, but we started talking a little bit about the Mass and why they, they took the Mass and that sort of thing. And I said, well, you know, the book of Hebrews says that Christ was offered as a sacrifice once for all, and there's no sacrifice necessary. And he said that he'd never heard of that before. Never understood that before. And it was almost came as a shock to him um, that none of that was necessary, that Jesus Christ died and was a sacrifice once for all. And because of that, we can have confidence that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that we are saved, and we can know that right now. So that's a, a major difference, um, a major difference between the Old Testament priests and Jesus Christ as our high priest. He offered a fi- one final sacrifice that took care of all sin, all of our sin. The next way is that the Old Testament priest mediated the Old Covenant while Jesus mediates a new and better covenant. Now, the book of Hebrews goes into a lot about that. Um, It's not saying that uh, the the Old Covenant was a bad covenant, but it does speak of the Old Covenant as an imperfect covenant because of what it could not do. And yet Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. Uh, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 and verses 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So Jesus Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. Now, you might say, well, God initiated the old covenant and God wouldn't initiate something that was deficient, would he? Well, how would we say that the old covenant is weaker or that it is, is not as good? Or how can we say that the new covenant is better? Uh, well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9. How is the old covenant uh, insufficient for us? It says, according to this arrangement, speaking of the Old Covenant, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So under the Old Covenant, sacrifices were offered, but they cannot actually perfect the conscience. They can't actually clear the conscience of sin. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. 
So the deficiency is, in the Old Covenant, is it did not make people perfect. You could not be justified before God under the Old Covenant. It was pointing to the New Covenant. In fact, the Old Covenant, the whole purpose of that is to get the people to see we need somebody to do this for us. If, if it's the Old Covenant, we will never make it. Because the Old Covenant demands obedience, that perfect obedience that we can't give. And we, we've all failed in that because we don't perfectly obey. And so the New Covenant is a, is a perfect covenant because in the, under the New Covenant, through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and trusting Him, we can actually be made perfect. That is, we can be justified before God. And so He's a mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant. And again, this is one of those things that Martin Luther struggled with over and over when he, when he was even a priest in the, in the Roman church. He would constantly confess his sins to the priest who was above him, and he never had a clear conscience. He, he constantly was convicted for his, of his sin. He never had the insurance that he was forgiven. Why was that? He, he was going through these human mediators constantly confessing sin, but he wasn't relying on the perfect, finished work of Jesus Christ. And so there never was any, any, any clear conscience that he had. He always felt guilty. He alarmed a little bit the other priests around him because they weren't so conscientious as he was. But he never could have that peace because he never was fully trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. He's always looking for something more. I need to do this. I need to, to, to take of, of the Mass. I need to confess my sins more to the priest. And none of that was working because he wasn't relying on the high priest. That was Jesus Christ. When he came to the point that he realized that everything was finished in Jesus and he needed only by faith to trust what Jesus Christ had done, it changed everything radically changed him. He had peace and he wanted to preach this to everybody. And that's what we know of as the Reformation. And so Jesus Christ mediates a better covenant. A better covenant. One in which we can be completely justified before God. And then the last thing is the Old Testament high priest offered an animal without physical defect. Which was a picture of a perfect sacrifice. What's the major difference there? Jesus offered himself. He didn't offer a sacrifice of something else. He offered himself, which is a major difference. Because not only does Jesus, is he our high priest, he's also the sacrifice that the high priest offers. And so he offers himself as the perfect sacrifice for sins. And all kinds of passages um, in Hebrews tell us that, but uh, we've read some of those already. Hebrews 7.27, he offered himself once for all. So unlike the priest that offered an animal sacrifice, he offered himself. He became the sacrifice. And so he's both priest and sacrifice. Now, you've probably already seen a number of these things as we've gone through this. You've, already, you've been able to see, well, this is why this is so important. But I put down three things here, as I frequently have done with regard to these lessons, and thinking about why is this so important? Why is this doctrine so important of the high priesthood of Jesus? I put down three things here. First of all, since Christ is an eternal high priest, he can save completely those who come to God through him. Since he's an eternal high priest, he can save completely those who come to God through him. Um, Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come through him because he's an eternal priest. Now, what does that mean? Well, this idea of being saved to the uttermost is that he brings it to completion. He's able to complete what he promised. 
um, you might have a, a lawyer, and of course, hopefully this has never happened, but uh, suppose you have a lawyer that's representing you and he, he knows your whole case and he's, he's ready to present the whole thing uh, in court to represent you um, adequately and in, do the very best job he can and suddenly he dies. What are you going to be stuck with? Well, you, you get somebody who will replace him, but they may not know your case as well. Uh, they may not be able to represent you quite as well. well the, the idea that the author of Hebrews gives us here is that Jesus Christ lives eternally. Um, so he can bring to completion what he started. He, the promises that he makes, the covenant he initiated, he can complete. So he's able, because he's always a mediator, he, he lives forever, he's able to mediate constantly between us and God the Father, and so he's able to save us completely. You can look at the other religions of the world, they don't do that. Muhammad died, he, he may have had uh, some, some helpful things to say to his people, perhaps when he was alive, but he can't mediate anything after his death. He has no power to carry out the promises uh, that he made. And, of course, uh, the religion he came up with was an unbiblical and false religion anyway. But he had no power to continue any of that. Jesus Christ, because he ever lives, can carry out the promises he made. He said just before he died that his blood was initiating the new covenant. But he didn't just die. He was raised from the dead so that he continues uh, to to make sure that everything necessary for our salvation is done. And so he's a mediator of a covenant. Um, he can be a continual mediator of the covenant, and that means he can uh, bring to completion our salvation, as we saw in, in uh, Philippians 1.6 and one of the other things we looked at. Um, he is, if God begins a good work in you, he will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. And that's because Jesus Christ is still a mediator, even now. Um, he is our go-between between God the Father and ourselves. One of my favorite statements of Jesus, um, and I think maybe this is true because I can see my own frailty or my own weakness at times and failures, is one of my favorite statements that Jesus made to Peter. Is he said, you're going to deny me. But he said, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Why did Peter's faith not fail? Why did he ultimately not fall away like Judas did? Because Jesus Christ was praying for him. Jesus Christ was interceding for him. And Jesus Christ's prayers are answered. And Jesus Christ is always heard by the Father. He is always interceding for us. And that's why we don't fail. That's why we don't fall away. That's why we do persevere to the end, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Because Jesus Christ is always interceding for us. The second thing, the reason I think this is important is because Jesus Christ, as our high priest, sits in the presence of God the Father. We can come confidently to God through Jesus Christ, and we can ask for grace and for help in our time of need. Um, Hebrews 4, and these are very familiar verses, but Hebrews 4, uh, 14 to 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus is our advocate before God, because we always have, uh, always have Jesus Christ interceding for us, we can come to God through Jesus Christ at any time. Now, the, the people, this is spe spe specifically speaking of the people in 
of the Hebrews who were going through a lot of persecution and a lot of testing because of their faith. They were Jewish people who had become Christians and they were going through a lot of trial because of their faith. And some of them were tempted to, to just give up on the whole thing because this is just too difficult. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, Jesus was tempted or tested in every way, just like we are. He understands that. And so you can come to him and find grace, and he will help you. He will help you to persevere. He will help you in your need. And so any of us can come to Jesus Christ on our own. We don't have to go to a priest on earth. We don't have to go through someone else. We can come to God the Father through Jesus Christ and find the grace and the help that we need at any time. Um, it's interesting to me, uh, I had uh, some people that came by our house, and I may have said this before, one Sunday morning when I was on my way to church, and there were some three people that walked by, and they saw that I, apparently I was on, because I was dressed differently, I suppose, they, they assumed I was on my way to church, and they said, uh, when, you, when you get there, can you, can you have the people pray for us? Can you pray for us about this? Well, these were people who didn't have the confidence to come to Jesus, to come to God the Father through Jesus on their own because they didn't know Christ. But we can, and of course they can too by faith in Jesus Christ. We can come to God the Father. And again, this is one of those things that, uh, that the, West, the Roman church did not know. People in the, in the Roman church, they believed they had to go through all kinds of different people, through the priests, through Mary, through saints. They couldn't approach God and just uh, come humbly before God and on the basis of Jesus Christ's merit say, uh, Father, as your child and because of what Jesus did, this is what I'm asking you to do for me. They had no confidence that they could do that. But one of the reasons we can pray, and we can pray individually, uh, not only worshiping together as a church, but on our own is because of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, because we're coming through Jesus Christ. Well, the last thing is that since Christ is, as our high priest, has accomplished everything necessary for our salvation, then we can have assurance of our salvation. Though since he has accomplished everything we needed for our salvation, we can have a clear conscience and assurance of our salvation. Um, Hebrews 10, and verses 19 to 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. We can come before God knowing, not hoping, but knowing we are right with Him, that we are justified in Jesus Christ, and that we don't have sins hanging over us. We know that we're justified before God, that we're right before God, on the basis of the fact that Jesus did everything necessary to accomplish our salvation, that He did all that was necessary in offering Himself. Now, I have a, a, a Catholic friend who's in Michigan, and I still email him. We used to meet occasionally at a coffee shop. and we, Well, actually, we met every week, and we talked regularly. Uh, one of the saddest things in talking to him is that he never knew that he was saved. He, he could never say that he knew that he was saved. He went to church every week. He, he took the Mass. He did everything he was supposed to be doing, but he never knew that he was saved. And he, we talked about it on a couple occasions. I said, but the, the Gospel or the, the Epistle of 1 John says these are written that you might know that you have eternal life. But because of the Catholic theology that misunderstands the person and the work of Jesus Christ, especially the priest, you can never know. It's not finished. 
So when Jesus said it's, it's finished, I don't know how that's interpreted, but it's not finished. You never know if you're saved. But because we have this high priest, Hebrews says, we can, we can approach God's throne with full assurance. We know that we're saved. We have a clear conscience. And we can be sure that when we die, we're going to be in the presence of God immediately. Uh, my Catholic friend cannot say that. He's not certain that he'll be in the presence of God. He's quite certain that he'll at least for some time be in purgatory. He's going to have to, some of those sins are still going to have to be taken care of, which means Jesus Christ was not the perfect high priest and didn't take care of all those sins because there's still something he has to do. There's still, some of it still depends on him. But what this tells us is that our salvation depends completely on Jesus and his work. As high priest, he did everything that was necessary. Now, I sometimes think about what it would be like to live in the days before Jesus Christ came. Have you ever thought about that before? regularly going to the temple and, and offering the sacrifices and all that and feeling like, you know, this maybe you're not even totally sure what this is picturing. It's easy for us to see it in hindsight what this is about. But regularly doing that, regularly constantly doing that, and I sometimes wonder what that would have been like. And I know there were people who lived for God and loved God in the Old Testament, and they were people who were, who were saved, clearly. Um, but I wonder what it would be like uh, to to not know that your sins were fully dealt with once for all. And that's one of the things that under the new covenant uh, we can be sure of. Aren't you glad that we have a high priest that accomplished everything for our salvation? Because of that, uh, we can have, have assurance today and worship God today. Uh, and even as we celebrate communion today, we're not doing that to gain some favor with God. We're celebrating what God has already finally done for us in Jesus Christ. We're not worried about our future. We can be confident in our future. Um, one of, again, one of my favorite songs, and I know I quote hymns a number of times, but one of my favorite songs is Before the Throne of God Above. Um, one of the verses in that is, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. And it's on that basis that I can come to God, even today, and worship with a full heart and a glad heart because I know everything that I need has been done in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I don't think that I will ever perfectly understand or fully understand in this life what you've done um, for me as high priest. But I do understand enough of it, and I think we understand enough of what you've done uh, to be be eternally grateful for what you've done for us. I thank you that the work that needs to be done in us that we couldn't do is something that was accomplished in Jesus Christ, and I pray we would worship with joy today because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.